All right, first things first. Last week we talked about 2020 vision. And um, again, just to clarify, we're not talking about perfect. I told Jonathan what we were talking about, and he said, he said, I have 2015. I was like, I don't care. I said, I'm not talking about that. If you have 2020, but I got to thinking about this last night after the fact, and I realized something you said in that actually really works for what I'm talking about anyway. So 2020 vision I put before you last week is we're looking 14 months into the future. Mm -hmm. We're not looking at 2015 and looking in the past. That's right. So having 2015 vision, I'm glad you're looking in the rear view, but we're moving forward. So that's that's what I was going to say to you this morning. But I want you to pull out your bulletin for a minute. Um, No, we're not going to sing the song that's in the bulletin again. We're not going to go through anything. We're going to look at the front. And uh, I put this on the side this week because I didn't get to it last week. And I said, you know what? I want to put it up there and I want to see what people say. I'm just going to say this. After everything that has happened with that sign over the last month, it gets noticed and it's our best minister tool at this church. That's right. And I did not realize that until all of this happened. But I got an email this week after I changed it. And a guy sent me an email and he said, he said, I don't normally, um, or it was said, I probably w- shouldn't do this because I know it's probably intentional, but I want to know if you know there's a dual statement on your sign. And said, when I drove by it, I saw God is now here. I turned around and I came back and saw God is nowhere. Right. Lamar and I had this conversation this week. I've had this conversation with Joe. When you look at this, what do you see? I've already given you both answers. But I want to know honestly. Just I don't need you to tell me what you see. I want to know what the first thing you see is. I want you to look at it and you know what the first thing you see in this is. Because every one of you already had an opinion when you looked at it this morning. That's why I'm not really worried about you raising your hand. But let's be honest for a moment. And let's, if you want to raise your hand, you can. I don't want anybody to feel embarrassed by this. But who, for, who the first time they saw it, saw God is nowhere? All right? The first time you saw it, who saw God is now here? Who saw both or can see both now? All right, good. I'm glad everybody's on the same page. Cool. But, um, it also says something else. <coughs> you didn't see it? I haven't paid that much attention. I'm just focused it on this. says one two. more thing that you didn't say nothing about. And it's scary. It says, God, snow here. <laughs> I don't like that at all. That is true. I do see it. That's what it says. I see it now. And, I don't like it. And here's the thing. It's going to happen anyway, whether we want it to or not. So let's forget that when we move to these two. <laughs> oh, always a good time with Shan. Um, so, so what we see here, and, and, and you know, and the funny thing is, is this is not intended to make anyone feel bad about what they originally and initially saw. What we need to understand about this, though, is this is just an idea of where we're going today. I talked about this last week, and I talked about where it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart, and how that very likely could mean, based on verse 5, that He's not telling us He'll give us everything we want. He's telling us He will give us the want. For everything we need. That's right. That's right. And that's the hard part for us to understand. He's giving us the desires that we have in our heart. 
because we're focused on him. Therefore, we're not focused on the desires of the world. Now, when we look at that and we go to today's text, this is where things get a little bit interesting for us. And if you'll turn to Jeremiah 29, we're going to start there. But I want to present something to you from this state. My question for you over the next few weeks as we continue in this, and this is where I meant to go last week, but I never got past the introduction, is simply this. As we look at this statement, and I'm going to leave it on the sign, I'm going to leave it on the bulletin for a couple of weeks, and here's why. I want when you see that, put it somewhere where you will, and I want you to recognize which one are you. Not which one do you see, but when people look at you, which one are you? Amen. When people see you walk into a room, do they say God is now here? Or when people see you walk in a room, they say God is nowhere. That's right. What kind of life are you living? What kind of life do people see in you? Because that's really a really good example for us as Christians. Do people look at your life? Do they look at everything that you're doing? And do they say God is now here? Because God is going to be brought into this situation by what this person is bringing to the table? Or do they look at your life and say, I don't understand why you go to church. Because God's nowhere. Go ahead. God is nowhere in you today. So as we look at that, I want you to think about those two statements. And I want you to think about which one you are. couple of interesting things about it is simply this when you put the spaces in and I'm I told Lamar this week I said you know it's funny after a couple more weeks I might just slide that out a little bit to one and see how many people driving by never saw that you know I, I think I might just spread it out where it says God is now here and see although there was a reminder in the email I got this week and he he put a PS at the end and said PS God never left and I said, well, you're right. And that's true. But the reality of it is, is what do people see when they see you? And eventually do they get to see that God is now here inside of me? Because when we as Christians are living our lives, this is something that I had seen when I was like seven, eight, nine, ten, something in that neighborhood. And it has stuck with me from then to now. Because... I want to be the one when they look at me, they see God is now here because they know that I'm going to bring him to the situation. I'm going to bring him to the table and I'm going to bring him to the party. So as we look at this today, (laughs) we're talking about misused scripture and we're talking about vision. And I'm throwing a bunch of things into one message. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. How many of us growing up or how many of us now have ever heard the word life verse? No one? All right, cool. I get to teach that too. When I was growing up, one of the things that I always heard kids talk about is, well, that's my life verse. That's my motto. That's the verse I live by. That is, how many of you now know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. All right. How many of us have one? How many of us understand ours? Mm -hmm. Because as we look at this, I'm probably going to mess with your world a little bit. As Jonathan says, I'm going to mess y'all up. Um, because Jeremiah 29.11 doesn't mean what we think it means. Jeremiah 29.11 is not a verse for prosperity, but rather a verse for encouragement. That's right. It is not a verse that is sitting here trying to tell me that God's going to give me everything I want while I forsake Him. Go ahead. It's a verse that tells me that God has a promise 
but I might have to endure captivity. That's right. That's the long story short. Now, let me just get started here for a minute as we look at this. And one of the things that we see in this, one of the realizations is, is that we all have our verses. We all have our little things. John 3.16, but John 3.16 is not the same without 16, 17, 18 being put together. And John 3.16 actually doesn't mean, that's probably next week. I'm just going to stop there. But you got to go back to verse 14 to understand John 3.16. And if you don't take everything together in the ways that we do, the American church has done us a disservice. We, as American Christians, have failed when it comes to understanding God's word. And that is what I want to try to address over the next few months. As we get to that 2020 vision, we need to right the wrongs of our vision. The wrongs of where we're looking. We cloud our vision with misinterpretation. And I don't mean to sound harsh. I don't want to sound like I'm stepping on toes, but I'm wearing steel toe boots for my my sake. (laughs) Just because, actually I'm not. And the thing is, is that you might want to wear them if you don't want your toes stepped on, because we're all going to have our toes stepped on over the next few weeks. Mm -hmm. We've had them stepped on the last couple weeks. We've learned that 2 Chronicles 7.14 doesn't just stop with the If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. It requires an action on our part. We also learned that Proverbs 37.4 or Psalm 37.4 doesn't always just give us the pleasure of our heart. And Jeremiah 29.11 through 14 is the same. Jeremiah 29.11. Let me give you a background to this. And as I look at this, this is something that You know, I grew up and this was one of those verses for me. It was one of those verses that really meant a lot to me. And it was one of those verses that really spoke to me. And as I looked at it, I kept thinking, well, you know, if if I I may go through a bad day, but God's got a plan for me. And that's cool because he's going to give me everything I want. And I see what this person has and what that person has. And I'm going to tell you right now that the the prosperity gospel is terrible for a Christian. How do I know that? Why do I know that? Well, there's a story in the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to read you the verses I'm talking about first, and then I'm going to go back. Because I may, if you haven't looked them up, and you're sitting there going, okay, what's that say? It says this, starting in verse 10, it says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Oh, I shouldn't have read that first, should I? Because it's context. Verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. All right, first things first. I read 10 and the rest of 14 for one reason and one reason alone. There's a context with which we are failing ourselves without understanding. If we are not reading the context of this letter that Jeremiah has written to the Israelites in captivity, then we're not going to understand what God is saying in these verses. But if we cut verse 10 off and we cut the backside of verse 14 off, then it's a promise to me. And I can sit there. Yes, it is. Yes, I can twist the scripture to fit any argument that I want. I promise you this. If we don't understand what God's word says and who says what in it, 
We're going to find ourselves. I think I talked about this the other day, and I don't remember if I talked about it on Sunday morning or Sunday evening. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there again. But Luke chapter 4, verse 7. Luke chapter 4, verse 7. Easy verse to remember, a great verse for people to live by. If you will then bow down and worship me, I will give you all these things. All right. That's a very inspirational verse. So you know who says it. And we can live by that verse all day long. If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all these things. All these things will be added to you. All of this will be yours. Do you know where the context of that verse comes from? That is Satan speaking to Christ in the wilderness under temptation. And he's looking at him saying, look at all of this. If you'll bow down to me, I'll give it to you. And Jesus says, no, you won't because you have to own it to give it to me. That's right. That's right. But if we only take that one verse, if we pick and choose the scripture that we want to put out there for our lives, you know how I came and how I figured out that verse one time? I saw an inspirational calendar. It just so happened to be on my birthday that that was the verse, the inspirational quote that was on the calendar. And I'm going, something's not right here. Something doesn't make sense. All of a sudden I see that looking at this, we're going, if you will just bow down and worship me, all of this will be yours. That's such a wonderful promise for us, right? Until we know that it's Satan That's right. saying it to Christ. So this is why we're looking at this 2020 vision. This is why we're taking a step back and we're looking at the verses that we know, the verses that we live by, the verses that we really want to embrace and let's make sure we know what they say to us that's right jeremiah 29 11 does promise us prosperity it promises us hope it promises us something that we can't find on our own the reality of jeremiah 29 11, if we go back a few chapters if we go back into the book of jeremiah just a little bit it becomes a verse that doesn't necessarily speak to our earthly prosperity the moment we realize that the moment we recognize what god is saying to us here then what we might realize there's too many correlations with our lives here see the thing about understanding context is we also need to understand what's going on there's a reason jeremiah was depressed Mm -hmm. jeremiah being the one sharing this you would think jeremiah wouldn't be depressed given that he knows God has a plan for his life, a plan to prosper him, not to hurt him, a plan to give him a hope and a future, right? But Jeremiah is really depressed about the circumstances. You see, they were in a bad time. They were under Babylonian captivity. They were being held captive. God had put them in captivity. God put them in captivity because they weren't doing what God said he needed them to do. And God promised them 70 years of captivity. I'm just telling you the story from the previous two chapters. In this time, there's a man named Hananiah. He is a prophet. He is a prophet who wants to speak this gospel. And he wants to tell everybody how awesome his life is. Hananiah emerges, he comes out, he starts preaching this gospel to the people, and he's saying, look, Jeremiah's wrong, there's only going to be two years, and then we're going to be delivered. And Jeremiah even has words for him, and says, don't do this. He says, 
You're sharing a false gospel. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see here for a moment. How many Hananias do we have in the world yes, today? That's right. How many Hananias are out there preaching this gospel that if you just go to church on Sunday, you're going to be blessed with this or you're going to be blessed with that? Now, as Pastor Jonathan has shared numerous times in this, you shared it even last night, God doesn't want us to be down and out all the time. That's right. He wants us to be content in our circumstances. That's right. Now, if He chooses to bless us with the new car, the new house, the new boat, whatever it is that we want, and, you know, how are we using it? That's right. That's right. See, we need to understand and clarify that, but I want to say there's a correlation between the book of Jeremiah and our lives today. Yes, it's still usable today. I'm not saying we can't take this verse and use it as a life verse, but we need to understand what it's saying. Hananiah was preaching a word, and he was telling everybody, he said, it's going to be two years at most, and then God's going to give us everything good that we need. He's going to deliver us. He's going to bring us back to prosperity. God had told them it would be 70 years. Wait, what else is 70 years? The promised lifespan of a human being yeah. these days? The average lifespan of us? And we're talking about 70 years of captivity. With Okay, let's put two and two together for a moment. How many of you have ever felt that you're held captive in a life on this earth? How many of you have ever felt that your life is nothing but captivity, fighting the enemy day in and day out? Jesus promised us that we would have trouble. He said, fear not, I've overcome the world. So let me go back for a moment. See, Jeremiah told Hananiah, he said, number one, you should be careful with what you share because you are sharing a lie. Mm -hmm. And he even went so far as to prove to the people the lie that Hananiah was sharing because he looked at him and he said, you will die within the year. Guess what? Seven months later, the scripture even tells us this. Seven months later, Hananiah was dead because he was sharing a false narrative. He was sharing a prosperity gospel. He wanted to keep the hopes of the people alive in the things of this earth. The church today has become such a disappointment to God, I think. Especially the American church. You have people in this country who don't understand what it's like to die for your faith. I mean, yeah, there's been church shootings, but how many of those people in that church are dying for their faith or are we dying because somebody just wanted to go shoot somebody? That's right. In other countries, people are dying because they know the danger of going to church. They go to church looking over their shoulder every Sunday morning in hopes that somebody doesn't walk in and take their life. But if they do, they rejoice in the Lord even more because they have died doing what they knew they needed to do. In America today, if we got up this morning and somebody said, somebody's going to shoot up Newland Christian Church, how many of you honestly would have come to church if you knew somebody was going to walk through that back door with a gun in their hand? How many of you would have showed up today if you knew that it would be your last if somebody walked in that door and shot the church up. Because the reality of it is, is this is where the people were. They were given 70 years of captivity and Hananiah wanted to give them a promise of hope. He wanted them to like him. It was something he could preach that they would fall in love with. That sounds a lot like American preachers today. It sounds like some of the mega churches we know. It sounds like this gospel, this narrative that we want to put out there and we want to say, well, look, there's hope for you. I hate to burst your bubble, 
you might have to go through a hard time. You might have to go through a difficult situation. You might just have to go through the the hell of earth to find heaven when it's all said and done. The promise that we see here, let me go back and talk about verse 10. Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. God gave us our life. We have been created in his image. He has sent us to this earth. And after 70 years, we will return to that place with him. You see the correlation between our life today and the life of the Israelites that's being shared here. They're they're being sent for 70 years of captivity. So that kind of changes the whole meaning of Jeremiah 29, 11, doesn't it? It kind of changes the whole thing from an earthly temperament to a spiritual temperament. And now let me reread this for you. But I'm going to add the word spiritual instead of the way we interpret it today. For I know the thoughts that I think spiritually towards you. Says the Lord, thoughts of spiritual peace and not of evil. Thoughts to give you a spiritual future and hope. Amen. Let's see. He's already promised that. Read the back of the book. Read Revelation. Yeah. We have a hope and a future that is planned out for us. He didn't promise it would be on this earth. The promise to them wasn't that they would be finding peace and hope in the captivity. It was after 70 years is complete. There will be a future. And I know what the plan is, but you have to go through to get there. Yeah. See, this letter wasn't written to the ones who went into captivity. The letter was written to the children who were born in captivity. That's right. And the moment that they realized we have been born into the captivity of sin. We've been born into the captivity of this world. And while we're going through it, we have a letter that has been written to us that says, when 70 years is complete, I will give you what I've promised. But you have to go through the hard times That's right. before you get the promise. Mm-hmm. Now, for some, it might be 70 years. Some, it might be eight. Some, it might be 15. Some, it might be 23. It might be 25. My mom and dad both made 55. You know where people have passed away. There's a captivity in this world and it's called sin. And it is the Babylon of today. We are being held captive by Babylon. And God has promised us that in 70 years we will see the promise. But not a day sooner. He has promised us our days on this earth. Those days will be accomplished on this earth. Now, they may be full of ups and downs. They might be full of goods and bads. They might be full of troubles and despair. But they might also be full of blessing and promise. Not every day in captivity is a bad day. It's all in how you look at the situation. Which brings us back to the sign. When people look at you, what do they see? Do they see that God is now here? Or do they see that God is nowhere? That's right. See, in Hananiah, they saw that God was nowhere. He wasn't in his words. He wasn't in the speech that he was sharing. He wasn't in the promises that were coming. And as negative as Jeremiah might have seemed, 
God was every bit of there in that message. Because Jeremiah had truly spoken to the one true God. Now as we get through that and we look past verse 11. And I know we're getting close on time. But I want you to hear this for a moment. When we look past chapter 29 verse 11. When we understand that it's to someone in captivity. We're all captive in sin. When we understand it's for a spiritual hope and future, not physical. When we understand it's not a prosperous thing, but it's actually a promise for a future. A spiritual prosperity, so to speak. Well, then we get to verse 12. Then you will call upon me. So number one, after 70 years, you're going to call upon me and I'm going to hear you. That's the promise that God has given You're going to go through those times. And then when you take that last breath, you're going to say, Lord, come get me. I'm ready. I'm ready to be done with this. I'm done. How many of us have seen someone who was going through that last stage? How many of us have seen someone passing from this world to the next? How many of us have seen that death happen? When someone is saved, they sing songs. They welcome the time and they call out to the Lord. Actually, I think almost every time I've seen someone pass away, they've called out to the Lord. Even the ones who said their feet were on fire and they knew that they were asking God to have mercy on them. That's right. See, there's things that happen as we transfer, as we find our way into the next part of our life. But those years that are promised to us, those days that are numbered, the days that only He knows, when those days are complete, He knows the end He has for us. That's right. And that is when we call on Him. We call on Him, we pray, and He will listen. When we call upon Him, we pray to Him, He will listen. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But what was the requirement first? Well, if we even take out the 70 years thing and we put in the requirements that are there, we go back. If you will seek my face, turn from your wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and heal your land. If we just add that little part back in, we find that there's a promise in it. But then what we see here is the parts that we skip sometimes. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me. Again, there is a seeking that must take place in our lives. We must seek him. But we're promised if we seek him, we will find him. Correct? That's right. If we seek him with all our heart, we will find him. Correct? But let me clarify something. That doesn't mean he will give you the new house, the new car, and the million dollar bank account. (coughs) It may mean that he will give you the car that works. That he will give you the house that's needed. And he'll give you just enough to pay your bills that month. It doesn't have to be prosperity to be blessed. In fact, I find that more people on this earth that have prosperity in their lives, true spiritual prosperity are the ones that know, as Paul knew, what it's like to have little and to not want at the same time. What it's like to have much and little. What it's like to go hungry but be fed. What it's like to thirst but not need something to drink. See, Paul knew both sides. We know both sides. It's all a matter of perspective. 
So when you walk in the room, what do they see? Do they see God is now here or that God is nowhere? Do they see that you are continually calling out to Him? You are continually giving everything to Him? Or do they see that you are wrapped up in self? That you were looking to indulge yourself? That you were looking to talk about this prosperity that you know is attainable, but you got it by cheating somebody? Or by swindling somebody? Or by throwing something this way or that way that wasn't exactly the best way to do it. Verse 13 then says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Verse 14 says, I will be found by you. In other words, what God is saying to us today, what God is saying to them then and us now is that if you seek me and you seek me with all your heart, I will be found. I'm not hiding. I'm not trying to play this game with you. I'm not playing hide and seek and moving every time you get close. I'm right where I promised you I would be. But you have to search for me with your heart. That's right. So it says to seek his face, search with your heart. All right, I can put those scriptures together. But if we want true 2020 vision, if we want to be able to be seen as God is now here Generation instead of a God is nowhere generation, what we need to understand is this that we must seek Him. We must seek Him with all of our heart and we must seek Him after repentance. If we are seeking Him while seeking self, we're not going to find Him because He's not where we're looking. That's right. But when we come to the end of all we know, when we come to the breaking point of who we are and we, and we just <coughs> we cry out to Him and we say, God, I'm here. This is who I am. This is all I have. I'm seeking you. Here's my heart. I want to see your face, not your hands, because your hands are handing it out. But your face is looking on me. That's right. Yes. Amen. God's hands will hand it to you. Yeah. But if we're only looking for a hand out instead of a hand up, we're missing the point. That's right. Yeah. But when we get in front of him and we come broken and we come torn to the core and we come to the point where we realize that all we have is him. And our heart has done the searching. Then we will find him right where he promised he would be. He says, I will be found by you. But there's more to that verse. Says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. If you are captive to sin today. If you are captive to the sin that is holding you back. God has made you a promise. He may not give you everything you want on this earth. He will give you the desires that you need. And then as you lay in front of him, seeking him with your heart, searching for his face and seeking to find him where he said he would be. He says, I will be found by you and I will deliver you from the captivity. The only captivity we truly have today is self. That's right. That's encompassed by our sin. Our selfishness. Mm -hmm. Self. It's exactly what you talked about last night. Save me from me. That's right. Because it's me who wants to go out and seek for myself. It's me who wants everybody to look at me and say, this is what I have. This is what I'm good for. It's me who wants to get all the praise here on earth. But God says, what about that? That's right. That's right. You, you have your reward. That's right. If you want it here, you got it. That's right. There it is. Take it. But that crown that I have for you, I'm just going to give it to this guy right. because he understands. That's right. yeah. We have become the Pharisees. Yeah. 
We have become the Sadducees in the American church today. And we're trying to tell the rest of the world how they need to live. And we're trying to tell Christians that they don't have it right. Well, the reality of it is, is that if Jesus were here today, I'm about 90% sure he's not going into one of our churches to find his disciples. That's right. right. Go ahead. Because we're the ones that say when Jesus walks in barefoot with dirt on his feet and blood on him and the stains, we're saying, wait, could you stay out there? Because that might get on the carpet. Yeah, go ahead. You're right. We're the ones saying, we're not, you know, you're too good for us. And then when he walks out the door, we're going, can you believe he even tried to come in? That's right. We need to be letting Jesus walk in those doors. That's right. We need to be letting Jesus come in and be with us today. And I think this church does it well. I do. I think we're getting there. I think we're moving forward. But there's still some spiritual blocks that we need to let go of. And that's where we're going. John 3, 16, 17, 18, 14, 15, whatever. Do y'all realize that John 3, 16 is alluding back to the serpent in the desert? The one that healed the people. And it says, for God so loved the world. It's not for God so loved the world like the valley girl says. It's God loved the world in this way. That he sent Christ to be the serpent that was raised in the desert, that we could look upon him and be saved from the sin, be saved from the bite of the viper, be saved from the serpent's snare. Do you know what that serpent's snare is? Who was it that tricked Eve into eating? The serpent. It all comes back to sin, folks. It all comes back to sin. So Jeremiah 29, 11, as great a verse as it might be, let's understand it from the point of someone in captivity and not from the point of someone who says, God's going to give me everything I want because he says so in his word. No, God's going to give you everything you need even while you're in captivity. Because at the end of the captivity, he's going to come and take you home and deliver you from that captivity. And you're going to have that future and that hope and that promise of security, but only in a spiritual realm. When your days are done in the captivity of this sinful world, you'll be waiting with open arms to take you home to the promise for your future, the plans that he has for you, the plans that will always prosper you and never harm you, the plans for the hope in the future that we all desire. Mm -hmm. But if we don't start living it down here, if we don't start putting our worship out there down here, we're never going to find it up there. Because as you said last night, part-time Christians are still going to hell. That's right. Unless you're living it out day in and day out. That's right. I mean, all we're going to do when we get to heaven is worship God anyway, right? right. So might as well start here, get it over with, and do it as a lifestyle rather than as three hours a week. As I close, I want you to think of this. What if God treated you the way you treat him? I've said it before here, and I'm going to say it again today. If we get to the gates of heaven, and we stand there in front, and they look at us and go, all right, so here's how this is going to work. We're opening 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, 6 o'clock Sunday night, and 7 o'clock Wednesday night. And we're going to give you, well, I'll tell you what, we open at 10, but you only came in at 11, so we're going to bring you in at 11. And you can, you can stay until maybe 12, 15, 12, 30, but you know, there are those times you got hungry. So you, you can get up and leave on your own at 12.05 if you want. At 6 o'clock, we're going to 
We're going to have, you know, you, you get to come in for another hour. It's 7 o'clock on Wednesday. Let's go for 45 minutes because you don't want to take the whole hour. Yeah. But the rest of the week, we're going to live, we're, you're going to go to hell. You're going to live it out there because, well, I mean, that's how you chose to live on earth. That's right. Lord, that's right. See, that's not even how it works because that's we don't right. even get a taste of heaven if we didn't want it here. That's, that's right. right. I talked about tithing a couple weeks ago. I didn't mean to. It just <laughs> happened. But here's the thing. As I talk about it today, there's 17.3, 17 17.8, I don't know. It's like 17 hours and how many minutes? A week is 10% of our time. Go ahead. Are you giving him that? That's right. There's 178 hours in a week, and we're giving him what? Three? That's not 10%. Tithing is everything. If you're not giving him that time during your week, if you're not reading on your own, if you're not praying on your own, if you're not out there living a life, might as well just give him everything. Then you don't have to worry about whether you're giving enough. That's right. Because if you choose to live like hell during the week, heaven's not open. It's not available. That's right. The only way that you can ever make it to heaven is to live like there is one here on this road. So next week, we're going to jump into some more scripture that we misunderstand. But take it with you today. That's right. Understand it today. And if you have a verse that you don't understand or you think that people don't, bring it to me. I'm not opposed to preaching it. I'll try my best. And if I can't, I'll call Jonathan. He'll come in and preach it for me. But we'll do it. 